Welcome to Adventure Rider Radio Raw, a roundtable-style spinoff from Adventure Rider Radio that we do each month. And on this episode, episode 82, we're talking about tourist police, and then we're going to talk about planning and budgeting for travel. All that and more coming up. Before we get going, I want to give a shout out to some people who have really helped the show incredibly this past month with support of $50 or more. Now, if you want to support the show, you don't have to do $50, but anything $50 or more we give a shout out on Raw for, like you're going to hear me do right now. Just drop by the website, AdventureRiderRadio.com and click on support for the different ways that you can support the show. That's for Adventure Rider Radio and Raw. And it is built on a model of some advertising and then listener support to make the whole thing work. So for this month, thank you very much to Eric Newth, Jason Meal, Laura Klein, Jamie Clear, Eric Eggleston, Alan Annette, Rick Cater, Clement Abandondolo, Michael Margus, Thomas Tolan, and John Sirabassi from Emmaus Moto Tours. Boy, it's great to have people appreciate what we're doing here and support, and we really do need your support. Drop by our website, AdventureRiderRadio.com, click on support. Now, here we go, Adventure Rider Radio Raw for November 2022. Live from the Canoe West Media Studio, deep in the boreal forests of North America, this is Adventure Rider Radio Raw, roundtable discussions about motorcycles, travel, and anything else that crosses our mind, completely unscripted, raw, and personal. My name is Jim Martin, and today at the virtual roundtable afforded through the magic of the internet, I am joined by everyone that should be here, all the regular Overland co-hosts, and I'm going to start with Michelle Lamfair because Michelle's almost not here. You almost didn't make it. <laughs> That's right. But I'm here and I'm so excited to be here and catch up with all of you and our listeners and hear what's going on. And you're sitting in an airport right now. I am sitting in an airport. Um, I've been traveling a bit the last, I guess, two to three weeks. I just came home from Borneo, um, spent a couple of weeks there with a best friend. No motorcycles, sadly. However, there were motorcycle friends involved and that was just as just as fun. So, wow. yeah. So why are you sitting in, an, in what airport is this? Is it Honolulu or something? <laughs> I wish that it were that tropi- tropical. No, uh, I'm not in Borneo or Malaysia anymore. I'm actually sitting in Minneapolis. So, <laughs> Right. I thought we talked about this. I thought we were going to pick a different airport. You were going to make it sound oh, much more exciting. You know, you that's, could, that's right. My is... mistake. I'm, I'm sitting in Doha, Qatar on <laughs> my way to the Maldives. How's that right. sound? Right. Okay. That's much, much better. <laughs> so Borneo. So uh, what was that trip all about? Um, well, it was my best friend's birthday and she got to choose this year. So it was a, it was her 50th this year. Not that maybe I should say that out loud, but <laughs> um, she got to choose and she has had a couple of places on her wish list for a while and Borneo was one of them. And it was spectacular. So we wow. went through Malaysia, stayed in Kuala Lumpur for a few days. I had never been. Then flew over to uh, the Malaysian portion, the northwest edge of Borneo to Sarawak and Kuching. Went to a few national parks, to an orangutan sanctuary. And it was spectacular. Jeez, yeah, that, that sounds amazing. How long were you in Borneo for? Uh, we were gone a couple of weeks. So on Borneo, just... Just a week. Mm. Wow. It takes a couple of days to get there and a couple of days to get home. And then we spent a few days in Kuala Lumpur on either end. 
So that's pretty cool because your friend has a birthday, you get to travel. <laughs> that's right. So you I'm, get a I'm gift as well. I'm feeling pretty lucky. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we'll have to come back and talk a little bit more about this. Let's bring everybody else in while we're doing this. Sam Manicom is in the UK. Uh, is, it, is it morning? I, I'm, I'm having trouble remembering now, Sam. Yeah, I think, you, no, you're in the evening. Good evening, Sam. It's it's good evening. Um, yeah, it's early evening with all the clocks um, time changing for me. This is a, a sanity time for me. So no whiskey in front of me, just coffee tonight. Mm. But that's absolutely fine. It's quite cool here this evening. So, um, hey, but it's November. It's proper November weather. You know, loads of rain and it's gone cold. So um, that'll do nicely. But mm. uh, yeah, it's great to be with everybody again. Hi. So I guess the difference is in the winter in the UK, you get rain and cold rather than rain and warm in the summertime. <laughs> yeah, I had a reply to that. I mean, exactly. I would be, yeah, well, exactly. Hey, now, listen, in the southwest of England, we get lots and lots of sunshine and lots and lots of warm. Um, it's quite normal to see people walking around wearing shorts and T-shirts and mm. flip-flops. And that's about it. So, yeah, no, it's good. Well-vented motorcycle gear. Um, that's the name of the game down here, I tell you. Right. Way over in Australia. It is early in the morning, but not that early, really, where Shirley Hardy Ricks and Brian Ricks are right there, ready to go. Good morning to the both oh, of you. Good morning, and it is early. Um, this time, when we're all on different time zones, we get to early, but when we change and you don't, it's not quite so early. But gosh, it's a gorgeous, sunny, sunny, sunny day, and it's going to be warm here, so it's lovely. Yeah, it's early morning, and Sam, I'm sitting here in shorts and t-shirt and flip-flops. Yeah, so, there you go, mate. Yeah, nice. But beautiful sunny day, and uh, yeah, we've been all the way um, halfway up Australia and back. So not to Borneo, but you know, all, all going well. Oh, you've been We're traveling around. Here. Is it this by motorcycle or is this in four-wheel drive? Yeah. No, 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 no. I've been I've been uh, off-riding bikes. Um, all over the place, um, having a bit of fun. Um, yeah, and taking a few different bikes out. I took my little cafe racer out the other day. Um, good he thing. has to keep one step ahead of the law. Oh, I do with that one. It's a little loud. It has these straight-out <laughs> megaphones on it. <laughs> I posted a photo <laughs> the other day, and a guy said, oh, that's the thing that went past me. I can hear you coming for miles. Yeah, right. <laughs> but it's a great little bike. <laughs> Is that um, the one that you were posting that's re really cheerful colour? Yeah. <laughs> uh, does anyone remember the movie Clockwork Orange? Of course. Yeah, I've, actually, I've actually scrolled, I've got old English styled writing on the tank and it's called Clockwork Orange because it is bright orange, but it's got um, uh, bespoke um, header pipes made by a guy who makes uh, extractors for aeroplanes actually. Um, upswept pipes and you know, it's, everything's lightened on it. It's uh, a great little thing to ride around. Bit of a show pony bike, but, you know, it's a bit of fun. So I've had, I've had that out and I've had the trail bike out. I've had the little um, um, XT600 Yamaha out um, going through the scrub. And we've had that much rain here that um, all the forests are, are full of um, bird life, wildlife, Um Kangaroos everywhere. I, I missed about six kangaroos um, on my ride yesterday. And the snakes have all been snakes washed out, out of their yeah. holes, so they're everywhere at the moment. Yeah, Ooh. snakes are out. But, you know, yeah. life's good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly, Michelle. 
<laughs> Over on the west yeah. coast of Canada in British Columbia, Grant Johnson is also there. Good afternoon, Grant. Good afternoon, everybody, or morning, or whatever it may be. We've got lovely, beautiful sun. It's gorgeous out, which is a big change from the rain. Only catch is the wind is up to 50 kilometers an hour, and the fountain is frozen solid. So not sure if I want to go out in it. So, Grant, with your fountain, um, has it actually sort of got a, a spray of water coming out that's frozen? It's not a spray. It's just a sort of a, a dribble out of the top thing, and it dribbles down several little layers left right. down below. Gotcha. And the, the bowl in the bottom that holds the water is empty. All the water is frozen on the whole thing. Wow. It's solid. So, yeah, and that was just since last night. Sounds like a leaky tap more than anything. <laughs> it acts a little bit but like that. It's, it's for the birds. And it's also nice when you're sitting outside in an evening. Stars out and the fountain's going tinkle, tinkle in the background. It's just... Doesn't that, doesn't, doesn't that make you bust for a pee when you're sitting out there all nice and relaxed <laughs> and you've just got this prompt all of the time? <laughs> well, Sam, now that you mention it, no. <laughs> I don't oh, have that problem, that. but I'll keep it in mind. No, and I got two bikes apart in the garage, so I've got lots of work to do. Two bikes apart? Yeah. What yeah, I've actually dragged out, I washed the Hercules. It was a 1975 GS175. ISGT special, seven-speed gearbox and all that. And it's been untouched since 78, I think. Wow. And uh, I washed it and I'm starting to take it apart and we'll see what's inside. It's going to be interesting or horrifying, one or the other. You've owned it sure since which. 1978? Um, I was the dealer that brought it in from the, dis the Canadian distributor and it went into my hot little hands and I raced it and I've had it since. Yep. Wow. I'm the original owner. Wow. From 19, I don't have anything from 1970. That's a long time to hold on to something. Yeah. Well, I've, I've still got my original toolbox from 1965, and that's terrifying thinking about it. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So today we're talking about planning and budgeting a trip. But before we do that, we have a, a listener question from Zach Brocktrup. Now, Zach asked about tourist police. And, and, you know, it's funny because I don't really remember this being said, but he said it was said several times. He's been listening to Raw since its beginning, he says. And in a recent episode, tourist police was mentioned several times. I'm, I'm reading his email, but I feel I don't know anything about them. Could you guys discuss that further next time? Uh, where are they usually? How do you identify them? Are they there to police the tourists or to police the border officials or question mark? Zach Brocktrup. Tourist police? Yeah, I've had experience with them. Okay, what are yeah, they? Yeah, we have. Well, I did a little research just to see what the latest uh, technical information is. And here's from Yucatan Today in Mexico. Tourism police are a friendly and professional group of young men and women, especially trained by the Yucatan Police Department, to assist and help all of you amigos who visit the Yucatan. And, and I think that's, that's pretty accurate because um, that's been my experience with the tourism police. They're there to make sure that you as a tourist are safe, have no problems. And if there is a problem, they will help you. And generally, they speak English. You know, I, we use the tourism police in Cairo for a long story. Um, and they spoke English, which is wonderful because very few people did. And they were very helpful. Um, yeah, they're, they're on your side in theory because 
if you as a tourist have a problem, then you're going to say some really bad things about that country, even if it was your own fault. So the tourism police are there to put the best foot forward of their country and assist you and solve your problem and make you happy so that you say, oh, yeah, I had this problem. I was an idiot or this shopkeeper was an idiot or a thief or whatever. But the police helped me out. That's a very powerful message. I think that's something that's uh, happening quite a lot. Grant, here's one from Bangladesh. Mm-hmm. The unit, um, I'm, I'm, no, I'm not going to read this with a Bangladeshi accent because um, it's it absolutely <laughs> no. appalling. And that would get us letters in because I know that we actually have some listeners in Bangladesh. So to listeners in Bangladesh, um, please excuse me, I'm not going to do the accent, but I am going to read um, what the tourist police website um, for Bangladesh says. The unit is tasked with the responsibilities of providing security to the tourists and protecting all of the tourist spots in the country. One of the foremost objectives is to improve the image of Bangladesh as a country of peace-loving people to the outside world and to help develop the tourism industry to the fullness of each potentiality. And I kind of like that. Yep. yep. I found the same thing. It was yeah, Pakistan, of all places, has a very, very similar message. To create safe conditions for the stay of foreign tourists who sincerely want to get acquainted with our unique country and, of course, from its best side. Yep. Yeah, yeah, that's that's right. And, and we've, we've bumped into them in, um, in Blue Mosque in Turkey yeah. and all, all, all sorts of places. And they do speak um, mostly English. Uh, in Thailand, there's 1,900 uh, tourist police um, that I'm aware of. And, look, they're, they're also there to act as interpreters, you know, um, a fair bit too. Um, so you do be um, do the wrong thing. Or you might find a tourist police sitting in on the interview with you as well. So, um, yeah, they, they, they do serve a purpose. But they have a lot of um, local knowledge. And when oh, the yeah. first time we were in Turkey, there weren't that many people at the Blue Mosque for some reason. And they, they sought us out, asked where we were from, had a nice chat took a photo of the two of us together so it wasn't always just one of us in the photos with something nice in the background. They were just really very friendly young men. And what do they look like? How do you identify them? Are they marked tourist they police? A, they wear a uniform that says tourist police. Yeah. These ones that. did anyway, and I presume they do. They, they're easily identifiable. Yeah, they look different from the regular police. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and usually I think I've seen them, I know, with uh, Turismo or, or a local language word for tourism, police, yeah. maybe tourist yeah. police, something like that. But I've, I've seen them in several countries. I know I've seen them in Thailand and Italy, Mexico, Peru. I remember them in Cusco uh, being around a central plaza. And it seems like, from my recollection, they're usually in high-density tourist areas, so like very popular tourist places or near a UNESCO World Heritage Site where there's crowds of people. A lot of times, at least my impression is, they're looking out for pickpockets to keep mm-hmm. an eye on protecting yeah. tourists. Yeah, exactly. um, yeah. Usually they're bilingual, so they're able to, and most commonly they speak English. So if you're looking even for directions, if you're asking about safety, if you're asking for you know some help with something, um, they're, they're just super helpful. So not just from the police and security standpoint, but also kind of from the tourism assistance standpoint. Um, but my experience has always been really positive. And yes, as, as you guys have all said, really just there for your protection and, and to help you enjoy and have a safe experience. And I think they must deter the ne'er-do-wells who are out to oh, yeah. 
to um, wreak havoc <clears throat> with tourists just to see them out and about. Yeah, no, I think that that's right. I mean, they do keep an eye open for people who are out to take advantage of um, um, tourists because, well, you know, when you're on a two-week holiday, for example, and you arrive in a place and you've never been there before, I mean, you're walking target, aren't you, for the unscrupulous. And they are watching out. And they're also doing things like um, there are certain countries in the world where there's child sex trade and this sort of stuff, and the tourist police are keeping an eye on what's going on with that side of things, and they'll go in and waggle fingers and so on. Um, but, um, I mean, normally um, police stations in the touristy areas will have um, a section that's given over to the tourist police. And if you get something stolen, for example, then you phone and you ask to, or you go to the police station and ask to speak to the tourist police. And they're the ones that will help you fill out the, um, the theft claim forms and all of that sort of stuff. And again, because they've got a language with a bit of luck in common with you, um, you can make sure that you're not putting the wrong details in the wrong boxes and that sort of stuff um, so they're, they're really good um, and if something does get stolen from you then quite often the tourist police are the first line of investigation I mean I didn't know that but I was doing some hunting around and I found that was quite a few different um, tourist police because they tend to know their their tourist patches and they tend to know who are going to be the likely characters to have um, nabbed a handbag and that's something else I've, in Thailand I've seen people, um, visitors sitting uh, in cafes and not being careful with the handbags um, or their, their day packs. And I've seen tourist police go over to people sitting at a cafe table and just saying, um, you might want to put that by your feet and this sort of stuff. So it's actually kind of nice that they're, they're there. And in uh, reference to Zach's question, the one place I've never seen them is at a border. Mm. <clears throat> oh, good not their department. Yeah, They're that's true. And the average tourist and where the numbers are. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Exactly. Yeah. They're there. So if you have a problem, you can, you can go and you that's who you go to, right? You, as soon as you spot them. Yeah. Right. That's, yeah. Um, you should, was noting that you, um, that they have a particular phone number. Like in Greece, for instance, I discovered that uh, you dial 171 and that's straight to the tourist police. So maybe mm -hmm. it's worth doing a little research on each company and find out, or each country and find out uh, what's the phone number for the tourist police. So you can immediately just go bang, bang, bang into your phone and get straight connected. Mm. Do they have the same power as a regular police officer? Yeah. Presume so. Yeah, they're sworn officers. They're sworn officers, so they could, they could um, take that, have this exact the same powers. Okay. Uh, as far as I know, in, in here anyway. I remember what staying at a hostel in Argentina, and thankfully it wasn't me, but another person staying in the hostel had something stolen from her room. So she called, she asked the uh, hotel or hostel manager to call the police because she wanted to talk to a police officer, and they sent tourism police. So mm. I, at least in that case, it seemed like they were representing police um, in general, but were there because of their bilingual skills. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. A friend of mine had an accident in on his motorcycle in Malaysia, and um, he had the, the telephone number for the tourist police, and he called them um, rather than the ordinary police, and they came out and they spoke English and knew all of the right forms and the right people to talk to and all of the rest of it, and he said um, they were absolutely brilliant. And Malaysia is a funny country anyway because so many people do speak English there. Um, but the same principle in other places, you have a prank um, and it's the tourist piece that you try and get in touch with. One thing that people should be aware of um, is that there are um, unscrupulous 
tourist around. And the tourist police, as we said a few minutes ago, who you go to um, if you get a um, something stolen, that sort of thing. Um, but in the the more um, touristy areas, there are more. And no, I'm not going to say that because that's probably unfair. But let's put it this way: um, so, some people um, are prone to make false claims on their insurance. You know, I've, I've had cameras stolen, that sort of thing. Um, in the very, very touristy areas, I mean, Cusco is a, a perfect example of this. Um, they've had so many complaints of theft um, that they are much more, um, not aggressive, but enthusiastic with their um, their questioning and their search and all of the rest of it. Um, so, you know, just because you've made the claims of the fact that your um, camera's been stolen, they're not going to just take it on the chin. They will investigate properly. Um, so people need to be aware of that. That's what we like to hear. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty easy to find out nowadays too, because most places where you enter, there's a camera, uh, video recording, so they know what exactly what you took in. So if you got oh, you right. a, yeah. a camera hanging over your shoulder and uh, there's a, a video of you going there without a camera on your shoulder, yeah, you might have a few questions to answer. That's a nice question, Zach. I'm, I'm glad you you brought that up for us because yeah. Um, it is something that um, it, it's relevant to all of us when we travel. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and I think it's something that we kind of gloss over and forget about. And and I don't know that we've actually set aside time to talk about it. So it's a great question. Thank you. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Thank you very much, Zach. That was good. Okay, now now we'll go on to planning and budgeting a trip. You're going to plan a trip. Now, I guess, like, I don't want to pick a destination, but I'm just saying anywhere what what's the first thing you do when you're going to plan a trip? I look at the weather. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. To to work out what's the best route to take. As we did on our first trip, which I know we've talked about ad nauseum, but um we were going to go from Australia to England, which would have meant bad weather all the way. So we shipped the bike to England and rode home and had decent weather all the way. Mm-hmm. This is something that's obviously unique to motorcyclists because if you were an overlander in a vehicle, like when you just went to Iceland, you're not worried that much about the weather, are you? Sure you are. No, yes, you would be. Absolutely. You want to go through the Balkans in snow? Um, Do you want to sit in a a car in torrential rain through the tropics? Mm, No. Good point. Even in a a tin top or whatever they call cars. you still need to think about the weather. I mean, if you're going to travel through Europe in winter, there are some countries where you need to have winterized tires. Um, it's compulsory to carry chains. So many things that if you're traveling through the other seasons, it just aren't a problem. Tin top. Did you just make yeah. that up? No, I no, didn't. No, I've heard people use that expression yeah. here in Australia. I like that. Tin top. Tin top. Do you? Or a tin top. Please feel free to use it, Jim. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I think a lot of it depends on what kind of a trip you're looking for. I mean, you have to decide, am I doing Australia to UK or am I doing around the world? Am I going to fly into a country? Um, am I going to do a continent? What kind of a trip is it? I think that's, that's your first decision. Um, and a second decision to go with that, I think, is are you traveling solo or with somebody else? makes a big difference. I know if you're traveling, you get a young guy versus an older person, 
traveling solo. What kind of a budget are you going to have? Well, maybe you're young and you don't have much of a budget and you don't mind sleeping under a bridge or in the cheapest hostel in town. Or if you're a little older, maybe you want something a little nicer. You want a shower. You want a nice room. You want a nice glass of wine with your dinner and your restaurant. Big, big difference in budget. I, I can think of uh, a couple of really extreme examples is a guy went around the world on 10,000 pounds. And that was 20 years ago and thought he was doing it pretty cheap, but not super cheap. And I know a couple who went around the world at about the same time and they spent 250,000 US. Where are you in your choices that you're going to make and your style of traveling? And what's your budget? You have to start with how much money have you got? Yeah, and budget's huge, obviously. And I'm glad you you've sort of jumped into that. So why don't we why don't we sort of break that down a little bit? I guess let's look at the big expenses for budgets. What are the big expenses? Look, the first the first thing I do when I'm planning a trip is is my bike up for it. You know, have I got the you know am I ready to ride this bike? Now, what do I have to do to get my bike ready to to do this ride? Um, so. That's something that I look at, and is you know is the bike fit for purpose? I kind of swing in with you there, Brian, because um, my first one, other than the weather, surely, um, was um, route and road possibilities, the time needed, what tire is the bike up to to doing those sorts of to road conditions. So actually, working out what type of of bike I'm going to need for where I'm going, and that of course affects the budget quite dramatically, exactly. doesn't it? Or it can do. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. I think it comes down to still, you have to decide what your budget is and how much money have you got and where are you going to go? Because if you, if you want to go to Europe and tour all the museums in the big cities, your budget is going to be very, very different than going to Tierra del Fuego, Southeast Asia. It's a massive difference on how much have you got, which determines where you can go and for how long you're going to go. And of course, always remember that the faster you go and the more you cover, the more expensive it is. Traveling slower is cheaper. So try to decide where you're starting from. Deciding details on the bike, like preparation and stuff like that, that's detail. And you've got to start with the broader stroke of how much have I got? Where am I going? What do I want to do? And how much time have I got? And am I traveling solo or with another guy or with my wife or whatever? And all of those are the massive outlines of what your budget looks like. And from there, it's detail. Just as a, a little bit of a practical example, I, Birgit and I have quite fancied going to Dublin and we've been, it's, it's been on our to visit list for an awfully long time. And I've been there very briefly once a, a long time ago and promised myself then that I would spend more time there. Yeah, well, we looked at the cost of accommodation in Dublin and I was so glad that I sat down. Let's put it this way. Even off season, um, it's it's eye watering, Airbnb, bed and breakfast, um, hotels, and I just thought, wow, okay, gonna have to rethink this one. I wonder whether there's a bridge that we can camp under. <laughs> yes. Do you know, talking about that, Sam, about the cost of and and Jim, this is probably exactly what you didn't want us to do, but um, the cost of accommodation. At least these days, you've got hostelworld.com and booking.com and other sites like that that you can look at to get a rough idea of what certain levels of accommodation are going to cost. 
But when it comes to sleeping under a bridge, the other thing you have to consider is whether you are allowed to camp in some countries. Because I know in Iceland and now in um, a lot of areas in New Zealand, you cannot camp unless you are fully self-contained, as in you have your own sealed toilet. Oh, wow. So you can't just free camp somewhere and have a pee behind a bush. Mm. So I, I think because locals are sick of toilet paper blowing across the breeze and tourists yeah. peeing anywhere. So um, that's another consideration for budget. I know um, a lot of you free camp when you're out and about, but there are, no, there are now some countries where that is not as easy and in some cases is impossible. Yeah, I think that's happening more and more in all places. You know, the the restrictions, not not necessarily not allowing you to camp, but just restrictions on camping because we're seeing it here where places where you just did wilderness camping before, now they've got them made into a park or an area that's that's um, looked after where you have to buy, you know, your pass, et cetera. All that because of just overuse. I mean, you know, I guess we have too many people in the world at this point. Well, too many people, yeah. It changed quite a lot up in Scotland. I mean, Scotland, it's always been um, wild camping is fine. You just use respect. But during COVID, um, so many people that had never camped before and couldn't go on holiday to um, Mediterranean countries, for example, were going on holiday here. And they were heading up in Scotland because they'd heard how beautiful it was and the the places that people traditionally just sort of tucked themselves away and wild camped. Um, just became absolutely filthy. And the Scottish authorities just started saying, well, no. Um, in fact, I'm not up to date on that because they did actually say no wild camping. Um, but I think that that may have changed again. I really need to check that because to me, one of the beauties of wild camping, besides not spending the money, is just being able to wake up somewhere with nobody else around. And I, that's one of the reasons that I love it. I agree. It's sad, but I mean, it's one of those things we can't do. I mean, you can't get around it, right? Because like you said, there's just too many people. Well, and the same thing is happening in the United States. We've, we have a terrible saying that we're loving our national parks to death yeah. um, just because they're so overcrowded and overused. And many parks, especially during COVID and since, have implemented restrictions. So you actually have to schedule a window uh, wherein you enter the park. So it's not just that you can drive up to Rocky Mountain National Park or to um, Glacier National Park and expect to be able to ride the Going to the Sun Highway. You can't do that anymore. You actually have to schedule a time slot, go in in your assigned time slot. Um, it, and really, there's just a lot of controls coming in about camping, about waste. Um, and unfortunately, I know it really ramped up during COVID, but I think those are restrictions that are going to stay. Yeah. So those are things to be aware of. And, and um, yeah, it changes how people travel. I think that accommodation is probably one of the biggest expenses that we experience as travelers. And Grant made a very good point of saying that traveling slower is cheaper. It absolutely can be, but there are times in, in certain countries where traveling slower and taking more time costs you more in accommodation. And that can actually be a little bit more expensive. So you kind of have to you know, pick and choose where you're going to linger and find a budget-friendly option. And thankfully, there's a lot of different places and, and outlets for us to find um, some cheaper travel options or accommodation options, uh, like through Bunkabiker and Couchsurfing and, and different hosting sites uh, that we've kind of talked about before, looking for bargains on Airbnb and other places. Any place that you can help to try and save money 
really is is the wiggle room that you need to extend your trip for the longer haul. Michelle, now what is it? Now Shirley said the first thing she thinks about is weather. Grant said budget. Uh, Brian said bike, and Sam went along with that and said <laughs> bike. What's the first thing you think of when I'm planning a trip? Yeah, when you're planning. Go on, tell us what tires and oil, Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whatever keeps it running. I don't know. I'm 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 a traveler, not a motorcyclist. I just happen to travel with a bike, and I love it. Um, <laughs> no, I I think for me, I know it's we said this at the outset. For me, it's destination, and in when I choose the destination, then all of those other things are kind of secondary. What bike is appropriate is probably one of my next choices. So if, I, if I'm choosing a destination that's more urban um, or is going to be along a highway like the Pan American Highway or European roads as opposed to, you know, going road of bones where I'm traveling solo, where I'm going to have to have a lightweight bike that I'm going to pick up repeatedly. If I'm picking up a bike 20 times a day, it needs to be a light bike, especially if I'm traveling solo. So it, all of the things that all of you had said, have said so far to me, are really interwoven. Um, you know, if I'm traveling solo, it affects my accommodation choice. If I'm a camper, but my travel partner isn't, and we need to look at housing, that affects my budget. Um, but for me, I would say destination and then the bike choice based on route and roads associated with that destination. That's exactly the point I was going to make, uh, Michelle, was it, it's, it, it, it's all interwoven. I think it's really hard to separate what's first, what's second, because, yes, uh, where you want to go, how are you going to get there, how much are you going to spend, it's, it all comes down to that, and then it comes down to the minutia. Yeah, but isn't there somewhere to start normally for you? I mean, like, like you know, for, for me, I'm going to think about money first, and think, okay, well, you know, what's what's an inexpensive thing that I could do or, or something along those lines? And that would sort of govern everything else from there. W- would you do that? Would you look at your, maybe maybe look at your weak link? Like what, you know, I'm saying is money, but might be a bike for somebody else? No, I think that's a great point. For me, though, I mean, I figure I'm cheap. <laughs> so I try to do... <laughs> wherever I want to go as cheaply as possible. And if it's something that's on my wish list, um, if it's someplace I really want to go, I'll try and find ways to make that happen. So if my dream is to go ride, um, you know, to Magadan, I would start doing research about what that looks like. Can I camp? What's the bike that I need? And then as I'm doing the research and starting to learn about it, if that budget just really becomes out of the ballpark for me, then I need to reassess and maybe reevaluate and pick a different destination. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I was going to say something very similar. You, you, you basically start thinking about a trip with a particular place or route or something like that in mind. This is what I want to do. And then it comes down to, can I do it? That's where budget comes in. See, I always think about planning a trip as, as not necessarily being um, a list, but I think of it as being um, a jigsaw puzzle. So you get a box of all of the different parts and the different shapes and sizes and colors and all the rest of it, and you shake them out on the table, and you start off with one piece. Um, and that's the piece that's attracted your attention first. And then you start working your way through the jumble of other pieces and start slotting them together until you've either got all of the pieces and you can make the picture happen, or there's a couple of pieces missing and you think, right, okay, well... I'll try the next box and see what's in there. 
Mm. And it's it's also taking into account things like, you know, are you going to go through an area of the world that uses carnets or are you going to go through an area areas of the world where carnets aren't necessary? Because the difference financially, budget-wise, of course, is can be huge. Um, I think um, there are also things like finding um, where there are festivals going on. Because I, I really enjoy going to festivals. And if I can weave a few of them into a, a trip, then um, that affects my planning quite dramatically. You know, what roads, what time, length of visa, have I got enough time to get there? All of those sorts of things. That can I, also I, add to your budget though, Sam, because that'll put up oh, the cost yes. of your accommodation. Chances are the cost of food around the place will be more expensive during festival time. Absolutely. Uh, so, mm. I really like the analogy, though, the, the the puzzle. That makes a lot of sense. That really does, because it is different for everybody. And you were saying, you know, you put that one piece that caught your eye. That's sort of where you're starting. That makes a lot of sense, because for somebody, it might be, I just want to go for a ride. Like Brian always wants to go for a ride. He's probably always looking for an excuse. <laughs> so that, at that point, you look for a destination and, and then maybe figure out budget wise and, and see where you go with that. I, I, I tend to disagree with you because when you put a jigsaw puzzle on the table, don't you always look for the corners first? No. <laughs> <laughs> wow, we're going to kill this analogy. <laughs> no. But could have, the court? Can I just say, I think, Sam, you put it so eloquently and it's such a, a clear visual for all of us. And thank you for that. Just goes to prove the point that I call you the wordsmith because you are a master, <laughs> a master wordsmith. <laughs> But Brian's disagreeing there, Michelle, because I'm obviously not getting the corners. But then again, I mean, I, I might be corners. It might be where I actually want to start, the corner. And Sam, when you put a, your jigsaw puzzle out in our house and you get part of your planning done, the cat comes and knocks it off the table. So. <laughs> okay, let's not talk too much about jigsaw puzzles because who looks at jigsaw puzzles anymore? I mean, really, like when was the last time you did a jigsaw puzzle? I know I'm going to die on this one. COVID. When was 20 COVID lockdown? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. So you were forced to <laughs> out of sheer boredom. <laughs> Have you heard about uh, the guy that that completed the three thousand piece white jigsaw puzzle? Well, God. Seriously. Where did he do no. the report from? A local psychiatric hospital. <laughs> <laughs> I just just getting back to travel. Thank you. Last week. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Last week we had a guy contact us uh, who was um, decided he's going to ride to England and uh, he was leaving on Tuesday and he wanted some advice and he rang, uh, I was back to him on Saturday, wasn't it, sure? Just minor things that he hadn't considered yeah, like no. carnet, um, travel insurance, green uh, card insurance. No. <laughs> Getting through places like China and Iran. Uh, you know. A ferry from Darwin <laughs> to Moleste, which you have to book, you know, months in advance. Yeah, we wished him well, but yeah. an, an yeah. old Australian adage, and I'm sure it's a, 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 a worldwide adage, what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> You'll be right, mate. Mm. Yeah. Well, it's part of the experience, isn't it? You learn and you figure out and you change and things went wrong and war started and you go a different way and it's, you're moving as long as you're moving. That's okay. But planning on going overseas from Australia that's, that's, and not actually yeah. knowing how you're going to leave the country is yep. a little problematic. Yep. Yep. Sort of missed a minor detail there. Yeah, just a minor one. 
we've got a bunch of things here and it's sort of scattered all over the place where I don't think we're helping much as far as organizing somebody into figuring out how to plan their own trip. So um, there's considerations like weather and, and budget and bike and destination, of course, and, and Sam's analogies is beautiful, the, the the puzzle. And I think that probably really, does anyone disagree with that other than Brian with the corners? Does anyone disagree with that? I mean, not everyone's going to be attracted to the same, you know, part of the puzzle to put together their trip. I think it's a, it's a good way to do it because it, it is all a bunch of pieces that have to be put together. And then once you've got a whole, then you're good to go. How do you know what all the pieces are? Uh, well, I could put in a plug for Horizons Unlimited as being a great place to start or a Where's DVD that? series. And <laughs> Horizonsunlimited.com. I've heard of that. Oh, shameless, shameless. Shameless, absolutely. I think you'd you'd, you'd think he was old enough to know better, wouldn't you? God, dear. Yeah. That's why. <laughs> I can't help it. I, I think you read a lot of people's stories. Read the blogs. There are so many stories people done done. Um, about what they went through and how they did it and go to a presentation and we wanted to go on this trip and how did we do it? Well, here's what we did. Um, things like that can can wake you up and just following through menus. Oh, I didn't even know what a carne, what's a carne? So you start reading about carnes and you fill in a piece of the puzzle. And you need to do a little bit of exploration. I mean, we can talk about all kinds of things. There's so many things that make all the details of the trip at the same time once you've got some basics you can go and figure it out on the way too but that's and that's the way of getting up to date information too grant of course isn't yeah, it absolutely it, but it's uh, basically it doesn't change but a lot of stuff does change so you just have to be yeah aware yeah and you'll be pleased to know grant i did put him on to horizons unlimited <laughs> <laughs> but, but um you, you think of it as a project management um, uh, opportunity we you know we've all done it as working in business you know you you uh, list down what needs to be done and then you look at the time scales to when you need to have things done by um so i would think that doing it that way is probably the best way to do it list down what's important to you and then work it out from there yeah well my destination is i want to go to Magadan. okay now, bike, um, carne, visas, insurance. Well, well they just work it backwards too, right? I mean, so if, if you yeah. choose your destination, you say, okay, well, how will I get there? How will I get my bike there? Yeah. Well, will my yeah. bike be good? You know, what, what bike do I take? That sort of thing, always working yeah. backwards. Yep. And then you can include all those things that we've discussed, weather, um, um, you know, how are you going to exit um, Magadan when you get there, which there's only one way to do it, down to Vladivostok. Unless you want to ride back, if your bike's still capable of going back, um, stuff like that. But you need to, you need really need to list them down. Get a blank sheet of paper or a whiteboard and just list it down, and then work it forward from there. And that's what we did um, going to the Isle of Man. As Shirley said, we reversed the trip because of the weather. Didn't change our budget. Didn't change anything else. But it made the trip a lot more pleasant than it would have been. And uh, basically, we did the same in um, traveling through South America up to Alaska. Uh, your timing has got to be spot on, particularly in the in um, Ushuaia and places like that. Otherwise, you're going to get um, very cold, wet and miserable, or you'll have a good time. So 
um, all those things come into account. I'm glad you mentioned visas, Brian, because that is um, an absolutely key one, isn't it? How long do they last? And um, yes. have you got to get it from your home country? Or um, when does it actually start operating from the day it's actually issued to you, or from the day that you roll into the yeah. into the country in question? And those sorts of things, they're, they're absolutely critical, aren't they, at the planning stage? And Sam, um, you could apply for a visa to a country we could apply for a visa to the same country, Michelle could and, and Grant could, and the four of us could have four different prices, four, four different yeah. requirements, and four different length of visas, et cetera, et cetera, because of the relationship our home country has with the country we're going to. Exactly. So you can't just say, my, sorry, my American friend said the visa will cost me X amount of dollars um, and, and it will last this long because – your country may have a different relationship with that other nation. Panama is a classic example of that. Who has had an experience where you end up somewhere and there's been something that you have forgot or you didn't know that you had to to check? And and, and how did you deal with uh, that? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Singapore. You, you go, Brian. It just has no. my head in talking about Singapore. Or, yeah, I, I wouldn't ship into Singapore or, or try and ride a bike there in any way, shape or form because you can't. You, you, you've got to get a circulating permit, you, but you can't get that from the border. You've got to go into the middle of Singapore to get it. So how do you get there? You've got well, to get hang on. What, what happened, Ryan? Tell the story. <laughs> I'm sure you started. Well, we arrived um, at the border from Malaysia into Singapore, and they said, yes, you've got all the paperwork you need except the circulating permit. And we had never heard of the circulating permit. And after much argy-bargy, and I'm telling you, I even did the tear job to see if that would get us through, but it wouldn't. <laughs> the circulating permit you have to get in Singapore to be to take your motorcycle into Singapore, you can't get it at the border. So we had to go back to the hotel we'd been staying at in the border town, get a taxi into Singapore, or get a taxi to the border, another bo- a taxi from the border into Singapore, get the circulating permit, get a taxi back to the border, get another taxi, cross the border again, get another taxi back to hotel and then repeat the process with the motorcycle. Seriously did my head in. And then you can't travel on the freeways with a motorcycle without without a uh, transponder so they can charge you. So, you know, we didn't do that. But anyway, um, it, it was just an absolute nightmare. So if you... We're crossing the border by land. That's what you had to do. Um, if you <coughs> shipped your bike into Singapore from a port, you'd then have to go and get your circulating permit. And that's lining up at a uh, like a, a registration office. Uh, so that takes hours. So it's a bit of a pain, to be quite honest with you. And when we collected our circulating permit, the lady at the government office that we had to go to said, you know, if I was doing what you were doing, I wouldn't have gone through Singapore at all. Oh, I think we've known that prior to coming to your lovely country. Thank you very much. Something that'd be worth people checking out is whether um, Automobile Association can arrange that in advance and it can be um, posted to to a, a secure address. I have heard about people um, who are members of the AA, and I can't remember whether it's the AA or the RAC in Singapore, but I did hear that they can issue them if you're a member of um, a sister um, company 
um, sister automobile company and they will send them to you to so for example if you're in Malaysia and you're in um, Kuala Lumpur for example um, then go to the automobile association there and you can have the, pa- the paperwork whether that is true or not I don't know but I have heard it from several people um, and the other the other thing is you know if you've got to go through all of that business then stick a pack of chewing gum in your pocket and, and become a smuggler and have a little grin on your face <laughs> just don't get caught no quite exactly yeah. is the punishment for that caning <laughs> no it will cost you will cost you I think it's child for for chewing gum actually no I think it's caning caning Michelle's yeah. right yeah Bit of the that when I was in Singapore, I thought that's what it was because I'm I'm a gum chewer, <laughs> so I was stressed out about not being able to have gum in Singapore. <laughs> yep, me too, Michelle. I chew gum all the time. It's a lovely city, though. Oh, it is. It's fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. It really is. And just going and sitting in rattles and having a cocktail amongst oh, yeah. the palm trees and the green shutters and the old rattan chairs and all of that sort of stuff. The place is steeped in history, isn't it? I thought you were on a budget, Sam. Going to rattles. Oh, well, I mean, we've had this conversation before, you know, if there are things that you really want to spend your money yeah, on, that's, then that's, that's for true. me, that was a perfect example. Yeah, I was staying at a yeah. rock-bottom um, hotel, and the only reason that I was staying there was because it was cheap and because I could get my bike off the road just. Um, but so cheap hotel meant that I had the money to go and have a cocktail and raffles. I think that segues into something that I wanted to talk about that's really, to my mind, really, really important. What kind of an experience do you want? Um, I, some people just want to ride, Brian, and other people <laughs> might want to see things, go to museums, uh, you know, one of the things that I really missed out on that both of us were quite bummed on, we were in Tanzania and we saw a balloon ride going, balloons going over the Serengeti. And we said, mm-hmm. oh, wow, we want to do that. So they checked into it. Yeah, if you want to wait for three months, you can. And by the way, it's six to seven hundred dollars per person for one hour. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's one of those things you just do, but you obviously yeah. plan it really well. We don't have many regrets from our trips, but one is we didn't take the balloon ride over um, the Cappadocia region in Turkey. Mm, yeah, I would like to do that. That would be fantastic. Big, big regret. Yeah. Um, one regret we don't have is we spent the money to go to Antarctica when we were in Ushuaia. Yeah, did I? Oh, That's the regret yeah. I have. I didn't. <laughs> yeah. You saved See, the money. And, and so what, why didn't you do it? Just go back, Michelle. Budget. Uh, it was budget. Do- but yeah, the, the, at point. the same time, exactly. I didn't have the money then, but look at what it would cost me now to go back oh. to actually make an intentional trip to yeah. the end of the world to catch the boat. It, it's, yeah, it's all relative. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we did it because that's what credit cards are for. Correct. I, I don't understand you guys. Why on earth do you want to go and look at huge icebergs and penguins? Oh, I'm just going to ignore that comment, Sam. <laughs> Until you've been there, you won't understand. But once you've been because there, we start our puzzles at the corners. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> everybody I know that's been to Antarctica says, "Oh yes, that was worth every penny." You're all saying it yeah. because you spent so much money doing it. You can't walk oh, away from it and say, "Well, that was horrible." That's it. <laughs> that's no. it too. Um, <laughs> you know, like we went scuba diving in Sharm El Sheikh. 
That's what you're going to say you went scuba scuba diving in the Antarctic. Oh, God. Oh, God. No, no, no. no. <laughs> Do you have any idea what it takes to go scuba diving in the cold? We do some of the best scuba diving in the world is right here in British Columbia, but we don't do it because it's just plain too cold. Not fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's other things. I mean, like taking a safari, um, tours generally, going trekking in the Himalayas. You need to take a tour maybe to do that. Um, these things cost money. But like Michelle said, if you didn't have the money at the time and you really regret not doing it, you know, like, are, we're feeling so bummed about not getting that balloon ride. Mm. You have to plan on spending some money on things along the way. Some of those just can't miss experience. I agree. Um, I'm, I'm not disagreeing with you at all, but I also think that it's important to do some lateral thinking. For example, the Masai Mara um, Park in, in Kenya. Um, what a fascinating place, An incredible opportunity to see the Maasai people in their homeland and to see all of the wildlife and to learn about the culture and how the two fit together. Um, but the cost of going in on a tour was just so expensive. It was eye-watering. It was one of those times when you see the price and you, 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 you want to be sitting down. Um, but we worked out that, hang on a minute, um, we could rent a four-by-four and the wild animals don't know where the borders of the Maasai Mara are. And we could <laughs> hire our own Maasai guide. And so we did it for about, um, I don't know, a seventh of the price, I think it was. And we, um, lions and cheetahs and giraffes and uh, just everything that we would have wanted to have seen for a seventh of the price. So even these things that you think, yeah, top of my bucket list. Um, have a look and see if there's an affordable alternative that you could do. And it's, no, I'm not talking about collecting birthday balloons so that you can do the flight over Cappadocia. But there are um, the last-minute tickets. I know they yeah. used to um, yeah. into Antarctica. If you just lobbed in Ushuaia, you might have to wait around for a couple of weeks, but you would find there would be a ship going with with it's spare berths and, and they, would, they would rather have it at a cheap price than an empty. Mm. So that's what we did for Antarctica. We got, there was uh, some Japanese financial crisis and a whole bunch of Japanese tourists didn't come. And we got on for, I think it was about $1,800, $2,000 each, which was a massive discount, less than half price. Yeah. But if you're going to fly in from here to there, just getting there is going to cost you in the thousands plus yeah. 6000 each now. So talking 20 grand to do it by the time you're finished. There's some great advice for you, Michelle. Just right down there and just wait. And what... <laughs> There's always there we go. Words, especially when it's only one person. You'd be amazed. That's has, right. Has anyone else had the experience of, of arriving somewhere and uh, you, didn't, you weren't prepared or you, or you didn't know? The first answer I've got to that is lots. And now my brain's whirling around trying to think of examples. Um, I mean, but you, you can never prepare and plan for everything. So you're always coming into, into situations where you think, oh, I didn't know that. Or, oh, so that's how you do it. Um, or, I had no idea that opportunity was there. Um, but, yeah, practical examples, gosh. Well, we didn't know that you could take a boat to, to Antarctica from Ushuaia. We had no idea. It never even occurred to us. We didn't research it or anything. Of course, this was before the Internet. 
we had no idea and but, but said, that's something that you, you can that, take a boat. That's a tour. That's something that you, you, you'll see when you get there. But I'm thinking more of things that might get you in trouble or it might be a bit of a roadblock for you. Um, those sorts of things. I'm with Sam. I, I mean, I, I know there have to have been so many times that that happened, that I was missing a piece of paper or something into border. I remember having to have an electronic copy of my passport, needing that. Maybe it was to enter Venezuela. I can't remember what country it was, but somewhere along the way. So I had to go back to like a, a internet cafe and take care of that back in Colombia before I could cross the border. It seems like there was something. No, I, I take that back. I know what it was. It wasn't a copy of my passport. I had to have business or proof of business. And it was something as simple as having a hotel reservation, which proved that I was bringing business into the country. I had a, a commitment with a Venezuelan business. So I had to walk back over to Colombia, go into an internet cafe and make a booking for a hotel in Maracaibo before we could go back to the border and the guards and say, we have a, a commitment with a business in Maracaibo to come into the country. And then they considered allowing us in. But all of those things you just, I mean, as, as you know, I'm looking back on it, those things never stopped the trip. And I'm sure there were lots of other examples of missing paperwork or uncrossed T's and undotted I's, but we just figured out how to take care of it on the road. And nothing, thankfully, was insurmountable for me. Uh, may have slowed me down. I know I had some frustrating border crossings because of those kinds of things. But again, nothing that kept me from going forward, which would be the nightmare. I've just, you just sparked a thought for me, Michelle. Um, now, it didn't actually happen to me, but I was traveling for a little while with a guy um, that this did happen to. Um, when he went through Iran, um, they uh, listed on his um, paperwork, his entry paperwork, the fact that he was carrying a spare tire. When he was in Iran, he changed um, the old worn out tire for the spare that he was carrying. And when he'd <laughs> left, uh, because he had a spare tire entered on his on his carne, he actually had to go and buy um, another tire so that he was leaving the country with a spare tire. Oh, no. Yeah, on the other hand, I think what I hear from this, and I think everybody needs to learn is, yes, you will have problems and things will go wrong and people will require this and they'll require you have your same spare tire, your same equipment or whatever. But you get over it, you figure it out, you solve the problem and you move on. And one of the big benefits I've always thought about travel is that you learn that you can solve problems, you can figure it out, you can deal with issues on the road and move on and it's okay to have problems. It doesn't have to be perfect. Solving the problem is part of the fun of the trip and the problems are the stories after. If you have no problems, yeah, uh, where's the story? Well, in that thought process, Brian and Shirley, the, the person that contacted you guys and was about to go traveling without checking some fairly major details, they're in for a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. There will be a lot of stories in that adventure. Maybe a couple too many. <laughs> yeah, I reckon. 
Well, I, I'm curious uh, what are some of the areas that you all religiously check? Some things that you you won't, you know, just slide let slide. For instance, um, like the the trip that we're referring to of somebody taking off and not doing their due diligence. So what are the things that fall into your due diligence that are, are automatic for every trip? I'm going to come back to that, though, because first we're going to take a break, but that's what we're going to get into afterwards. So this episode is supported by freshtracks.co.uk. Freshtracks has been around since the 90s. And what they do is they work with companies or groups to inspire, motivate, challenge, build communication skills through team building exercises. They work with um, companies like Mars, Pfizer, Yahoo, Comic Relief. Freshtracks.co.uk. And if you're dealing with them, throw in there, you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio Raw. Freshtracks.co.uk. So, okay. So how about it? So, um... Those areas that, that, those things that you religiously check before going on a trip, those things you will not take a chance on. What are those, Sam? Your medical insurance. Okay, great. Go ahead. Sorry. Sorry, Sam. I, was, I wasn't aware that you were going to get past Jesus, Sam. <laughs> well, Grant, as it happens, I was going to say exactly the same thing as, as yeah. my first one. Okay. Yeah. And evacuation insurance. Okay, so, yep, so just in case we had some, some talking over there, what you said was medical insurance is the first thing you're going to look at. Or not, yep. not the first thing, rather. But that's, that's something you will religiously check. You will not take a chance on that. It's too, too hard. I know one young woman who was traveling through Africa um, had a major accident, um, broken legs, broken arms, all kinds of stuff, the whole thing. Um, she got evacuated out back to her home country in Europe. And... $70,000 later, she was asked, why didn't you have medical insurance? I couldn't afford it. Mm-hmm. Sorry, but can't not afford it. I met a girl in Uganda and she had been coming, been coming through um, Eastern Zaire and she was in a minibus and the minibus went over the side of a, um, yeah, a mini ravine. And quite a lot of people were killed. And she, the, the chairs inside this minibus were sort of tubular um, legs. And some of them sheared. And one of them just went straight through her leg. And she spent the next um, five days um, traveling one way or another um, to try and get into Uganda and get um, through Uganda and into Kenya um, because she didn't have... Um, the type of medical insurance that would get her out of that situation. Once she got to a hospital, she was covered. But at that time, uh, the, the the hospitals in the, in the Congo um, and in Uganda were not particularly hot. So she was traveling all this way um, and her leg was festering. It stunk. Mm. Oh. Okay. Mm. oh got it. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. Uh, sorry, sorry, Shirley. I know it's early for you. You guys haven't had breakfast yet, and that was really rotten of me. I apologize. <laughs> no, no, no. Anytime that, that would have turned my stomach, really. But that's, yeah. 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 That's, so, that's got to be number but one. But it's the reality. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely, yeah. it is. Yeah. It's interesting. Not everybody does. Uh, you know, I, I've talked to several people that um, do extensive traveling without medical insurance, and yeah, it's. Um, I know it's it's a risk. There's no doubt about it. That's the whole thing of insurance. You hope you don't need it, but if you do, you know it's going to be money well spent. Like that woman who had no insurance and ended up spending seventy thousand dollars. Well, that's a lot more expensive than what it would have cost her for the insurance. Well, and when it comes to health, you have no choice. I mean, if you decide not to insure your motorcycle, for instance, you know, at home, I'm just saying, and and you. Uh, 
let's say let's say you didn't buy the the coverage that will cover it if it's your own fault. So your your bike is written off. What I'm saying is that's your choice. Okay, well my bike's gone. Oh well. But when it comes to health, you, you got to get fixed. It's as simple as that. Mm-hmm. And you could end up with this massive bill. It's not like you know if if your roof got blown off in your house and you didn't have insurance. That's inconvenient. That that's terrible. But um, it's not like health insurance. I mean, health insurance, like you're saying, this this that story, Sam, the, with the woman in the in the leg. Uh, you know, you just you can't get around that. You've got to do something. You've got to get fixed. And uh, yeah, it could bankrupt you, or you could lose your leg. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and as Grant mentioned a minute ago too, was evacuation and repatriation insurance. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I think that those are things you need to be considering, especially you know for your loved ones. You may be so injured that your family's responsible to get you repatriated back home to your own country. And that those kinds of costs, when you're looking at maybe flights traveling internationally, are astronomical. And they are something that you really do. Nobody wants to think about it, but it's better to be prepared and purchase the insurance and know that your coverage, peace of mind for yourself and your family are well worth it. You know, and because you brought that up, Michelle, it's the type of thing of as well that you put the burden on everyone else if you don't do it, right? I, I mean, it, you, all of a sudden it becomes someone else's problem and you lean on other people if you don't take care of that to begin with. Right. And that's what I don't want to do. Yeah. yeah. When we were traveling, my mother was in, in her 80s and thinking, you know, if, if something happened to me, what is she going to, how is she going to deal with that? I didn't have yeah. the time. Um, you know, it's just too much to put on to somebody else. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're on your own and there's nobody that that's still alive, that's related to you, nobody's going to care if you disappear. Well, okay, you go right ahead and do whatever you want. But if there's somebody that cares about you, then it's your responsibility to care about them and what their load is going to be. But you should also care about yourself, Grant, because a lot of the countries that we've travelled through, the last place I'd want to be is in one of their local hospitals. Oh, yeah. yeah. If I was really seriously injured, I would so much rather be, you know, in England or Australia or, you know. Anywhere to, else. Yeah, anywhere else. So, you know, so that's thinking about yourself, but certainly taking the worry off people. And everyone has someone who cares. You might not have parents or siblings, but you'll have a, a buddy who cares about you, who will worry about you, who will have to try and help you get home. So, or, or even the public, right? I mean, if you're on social media, you know, you've heard this sort of thing happen where, where all of a sudden it becomes this, this crowdfunding thing where everyone has to pitch in to help you because you chose to save some money. Yeah. Don't yeah, start me on crowdfunding. To me, that's that's right. right. It's not right. It's just not right. Oh, responsibility, taking responsibility for yourself. I think one of the things that um, all travellers learn how to do is uh, when they're planning to look for plan B. And it's part of the fun of getting ready to do a trip. Um, and you, you let your mind imagine, okay, so this can go wrong. What do I do if that goes wrong? And it's quite entertaining to work out plan Bs. Um, and it's not something that's daunting or scary. It's just interesting. It it um, it gets the old curiosity antennae wobbling around and it's, it's actually quite good fun, I think. And one of the things that I tend to look at is what's the political st- stability in the different countries that I'm thinking about traveling through. Um, and what I mean by plan B there is, okay, so this country's got a fairly rocky situation going on. 
And what happens if they have elections and things just get completely out of hand? Well, I've still got to go north. How do I go north? And yeah, to me, that's just something that you naturally start doing as um, a traveler. It's entertaining. It's good practice. Sam, how about you? What are what is something that you always will check when you're going on a trip? Uh, what vaccinations are needed for the different countries that I'm traveling through? And what form of proof do I need to be carrying that I've had those vaccinations? Um, I've got friends who've turned up at borders and they've not, for example, had the yellow fever vaccination and they've not been allowed in. That's that. Right. Unless they were prepared to slip a significant amount of money underneath the table to be allowed into that country. <coughs> but they were still going to need their yellow fever um, vaccination when they got to the next country. So, you know, vaccinations. Um, and the other thing is, can you actually have them all? Because there are some people who are on um, whose medical condition means that they can't actually have that type of vaccination. So they'll have to reroute their trip according to that, for example. Hmm. Okay. And that's good. That's a good point because that's not something you're going to be able to get very easily, very likely anywhere else. You either do that at home before you go or you're stuck. Well, that's not strictly true um, because actually vaccinations in home country and westernized countries uh, can be quite expensive. But for example, um, if, if you're in a developing world country and you go to the capital city and you get yourself linked up with an international standard hospital, then you can probably get a vaccination um, much cheaper than you can in your home country. But having said that, some of these vaccinations um, require a course over a three-month period. And that could eat your whole visa while you're in a particular country. So does it make sense to get it done before you leave home? Yeah, I think so. Peace of mind, then you can just go out on the road and not worry about it. We got a vaccination done in the UK when we were heading south and we got the first one in, in the UK and it was because uh, about 100 pounds each or something like that. Oh, that's expensive. And then we went to Spain and it was free. The next, mm -hmm. next shot. Mm -hmm. So just pay attention, but you do have to make sure, as Sam said, that you've got the right ones or you've planned to get the right ones along the way. So uh, as far as those things that you, you, you're definitely going to check before you go, Brian, Shirley? Visas definitely check because that can be a bit of heartache if you've got <clears> to <throat> send your passport home and wait somewhere without a passport trying to get a visa for somewhere. Um, and insurance, mm -hmm. how much it's going to cost in different countries just to make sure you're covered. Actually, that's a good point, Shirley, because there are some countries that you go to that insurance companies consider to have more risk, and therefore that can bump up your insurance quite significantly, can't it? It can, yeah. And you've also got to be sensible, um, you know, countries that are going to be a risk. If you go from, I don't know what it's like in other, other countries, but Australian government has countries listed that become a do-not-go zone. And if you go there, even if you've got the best insurance in the world, you may find that you're not covered yep. because you've gone well, somewhere where they've said, yeah. seriously, yeah. don't go there. Yeah, yep. that's, that's, that's a very good point. The evacuations um, companies, insurance companies, well, same thing. If you, your country says you cannot go to that country or you should not go to that country, then they won't cover you. Yeah. yeah. Michelle? 
Um, I think probably because of my business background, I think of finances. It depends on how long my trip is going to be. <laughs> but um, am I am I covered in case I lose my wallet, my um, credit cards? Are my credit cards going to expire while I'm gone? I'm tracking what's going on with exchange rates with money um, and making sure that I have my money, and this is me personally, I put a small amount of money into the account that I have a debit card or ATM card that I use while I travel to access cash. And then I have the majority of my funds in another account and do transfers to replenish that account. So it's it's never too big. And if I lose my ATM card, then I'm not at risk of losing all of my travel budget. Um, I keep electronic and digital copies of all of my documents, passport included. And I have someone at home with a power of attorney who can take care of things if for some reason I need assistance from home. Top tips. Yeah, Thank you. yeah we, do, we do all that. <clears throat> and, you know, they're, they're the little things that um, you, you don't realize until you start talking about it, Michelle. But we, you, you do do all those things. Yeah. And they're things that should yeah. be considered by the new traveler. And what what about cash and, and payment methods? I mean, that, that's a whole subject in itself, isn't it? it it's such it a sure different is. subject now. COVID made cash the pariah of the financial world. Yeah. Uh, and we, uh, even in Australia now, you can go and buy a loaf of bread for four bucks and pay with a credit card and the people behind the counter don't raise an eyelid. Oh, people buy coffees here. You see it here, Shirley. Yeah. People go in and buy a coffee and they'll use their debit card to pay for the coffee. And, and yeah, I mean, it's sure. uh, the banks love it. Yeah, I don't but yet it's still in, Germany, in some third world really countries. Sur- yeah, third world's different. But Germany's not third world and they prefer cash. And we yeah. went to a, a restaurant one night when I was there in Frankfurt not that long ago. And they only accepted a certain card, which was a European debit card that I'd never heard of before. So I couldn't use my international MasterCard or Visa card. We had to go to the ATM and get some cash out and come back to pay the bill. And I was really surprised about that. So different. Mm. Yeah, some countries are still, of course, before COVID, we're very cash-based. A lot of second and third world countries are very much oriented that way. Um, and yeah. I thought maybe COVID had changed some of that, but I was talking with some friends. I'm planning a trip to Chile uh, this coming spring, um, a motorcycle trip with some friends. And I've been doing a little bit of research. We're considering crossing over into Argentina, going down for a couple of weeks. And the dollar blue is really still strong and active in Argentina. And I wasn't aware of that. So US dollars cash are still king in that part of the world. And so that it's something that I just had to get current on again and find out you know, what, what is the, the format? Do you take cash? Do you use ATMs? What, what's going on? And so that's always a changing thing, especially as gone through a lot of changes with COVID, but something to stay on top of. I just, just digress a little. Michelle, you are going to be so close to Ushuaia and a trip to Antarctica. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Believe me, I wish. <laughs> There's always a way. <laughs> Sorry. I, I'm hopeful that this is not my last trip down there. So, yeah. <laughs> Michelle, I'm curious. You're, you're sitting in that airport still. You're, you're, yes. you're talking to us. What do people think you're, you're doing? I guess they just think you're talking on the phone. Probably. I, I guess I don't know. I have consciously chosen empty gates. And so 
I was sitting in a gate, a couple gates down, and it started filling up with people as a, a flight was getting ready to come in. So I moved to another gate while I was muted. But yes, I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to lay low. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. They're probably thinking, God, that woman can talk. What long conversation is she having on her telephone? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right? <laughs> So um, any, any any other things that you can think of that um, you definitely should be checking that maybe somebody wouldn't, uh, wouldn't recognize or, or let's add in any pitfalls that may not be obvious. Well, I'm going to sort of spife up with one here and it's just relevant to me because of my kidney transplant, there are some countries where I have to be able to take in certain medications. I have to. And if I come across a country that says, no, you can't take those in, then I'm not going there. I'll go around. That's mm-hmm. a good point, Sam. The stands don't like anything with ene on the end of it, like any codeine. So even a a painkiller like panadine, which is a uh, you know heavy duty one, they'll they'll take it. So yeah, you really do need to think about what medications you're taking in, and that you've got enough medication to deal with a delay in your trip. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good one. Another one is. Um, be careful when you use your credit cards. You know, there's skimming devices out there now. We're a bit sus about using credit cards just anywhere, uh, like little coffee, little cafes and things like that. Um, we'll use them in, uh, uh, to get cash out of the bank and, and do it that way. Um, but, you know, maybe we're, we're ultra cautious. Any other pitfalls that, that anyone can think of? Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the things is working out what, when we, you know, we're going back to um, early stage of this conversation, we're, we're talking about working out what sort of trip you want. And I think if you want to, to, take, to take great photos, then, you know, work out what's the best camera for you and what you want to use <coughs> photos for and learn how to use it properly before you go. Um, don't do what I did and dick around for the first six months trying to understand the manual and missing loads and loads of opportunities. Get yourself used to um, the camera that you want to take. Um, and yeah, well, of course, there are so many really, really good um, cell phones around now. Do you actually need to take a separate camera? No, you could just spend $1,500 and get one of those fancy cell phones with the fancy camera. Mm-hmm. Have you, have you well, except no, I haven't actually. No, well, the terrify you. Is that right? I was looking and just kind of an average intermediate camera, three grand. Wow. What? A high, a relatively high end camera was six, and it wasn't a pro camera. Wow. Yeah, your fifteen hundred dollars cell phone is actually pretty good. It sounds better all the time with those price tags. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. and if you think yeah. about it, then it, it also works in other ways, doesn't it? Because, well, you could decide that you're going to take a, um, um, a a laptop and a mobile phone and the camera, and you add the price of those those things together, and oh, now we're now we're talking eye watering, aren't we? Mm-hmm. And space. And I, I know you do a handwritten journal, Sam, when you travel. Mm. If we did that, by the time we got home, even I can't read my own writing, let alone anyone else. Yeah. Do you remember you know, what Graham um, Field used to say? He he carried a tape recorder with him and he would mm-hmm. talk into his yeah. tape. That's a pretty good way of, of making notes and much easier than writing it down. Uh, and yeah. the iPhone has iTalk. You can do that on your phone. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Grant doesn't agree. I, 
No, I've used the tape recorder when I, I used to be a professional photographer. And if I'm doing a serious shoot, I would often use have a tape recorder running and I would just talk into it and say what I'm doing. And this, this shot is this and this shot's that and something else. Do you know how long it takes to transcribe that? Forget it. You'll never do it. Yeah, Don't even think yeah I bet. I think that's because you, you're saying you put it on, you're talking you through. But I mean, if you make some quick notes, because I think what Graham used to say is he would make quick, some quick notes and then he could go through and, and write down from it. And the other thing with that is, is because you have something like, so if you, if you're not going to take the time to write something down, you want to record it. Shirley said the phone, you can record on your phone. Of course, most, I think every phone has it. Uh, if not, there's an app you can download for it. And um, you, you just do it like a quick, you know, a fast little, little sentence that you say that will just spark your memory again. You know, when you get home, yeah. you want to write things down. Yeah. yeah and it's discipline. It's, it's discipline. It's date, location, time of day and, and yeah. key points. Mm-hmm. And theoretically, you shouldn't need to transcribe it per se, but as you're saying, just use it as a um, as a memory jogger. Yeah. But when I was working as a professional journalist back in the late 15th century, I used to record <laughs> interviews so I could make sure my quotes were accurate. Yep. Oh, right. Yep. Going back to not being able to read my own handwriting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my mother says that I'd make an excellent doctor. I thought she meant my bedside yeah. manner, but actually she meant my handwriting. <laughs> <laughs> You're halfway there. You know, I, I want to go back to the bike thing because, Brian, you mentioned the first thing you're thinking about is your bike. Not surprising. And, Sam, uh, you you uh, uh, backed him up on that. Brian, what is it about the bike? So so um, talk about that. How does that affect <clears throat> the trip? Well, look. Most bikes can travel around the world, but you, is your bike up for it? Is it is it fit for the trip? Um, uh, is it uh, other, is it using oil? Does it need a, a, a rebore, a revamp on the engine? Um, things like that. Mm. Um, the the wheel bearings are, are they right? Do you know if you've got a chain and sprockets? Do I need to think about uh, putting a Scott oil or a chain oiler on it? Um, what I need to carry for the bike. How much weight is that going to – the, the tie pliers come up. Dog. I know you're going to mix oh, you I know you're going to I'm just wondering if you're thinking about the bike because Shirley does all the paperwork. <laughs> well, the, yes. we, we, we jibby up those tasks. That's exactly yes. right, and that's what we do. And uh, It's because- horses for courses, Jim. I would have no idea what to do about the bike, and, um, you know, I've researched stuff all my working life. So that comes a second nature to me. So, right. so yeah, I, I, I get it because we travel together. It's, it's a lot easier for us to do it that way. But um, I, I really think um, what, what the tool you're going to use to travel is pretty important uh, and you want it to be the best it can be. Mm-hmm. Uh, the suspension, you know, is the suspension old and saggy? Well, is it going to make it from here to London? I don't think so, you know. You're never going to yeah. be able to prepare the bike 100% that you'll get through a trip without having no, having right. issues. But isn't it a bit foolhardy to leave on a trip knowing that the bike is going to give you grief in the first, you know, 2,000 Ks? No. I don't know. No, I think it's an, it's an excellent point. It is for sure. I mean, even on a smaller trip, that pops into my head as, as well. And, you know, it's a, it's something you're going to have to consider. And then it may mean getting a new bike, which then of course gets into the budget and, and, and all of that. Well, yeah. Michelle touched upon some, some pretty important points when she was talking just now. Um, if she's riding solo, then she's going to be looking for potentially a smaller bike that she can pick up. 
So there are those sorts of things to take into account. And when we were talking earlier on about um, sort of routes and road possibilities, well, I mean, if you're going to spend an awful lot of time on gnarly dirt roads, then yeah, maybe you want to be having um, a lighter uh, bike that's easy to pick up. I would like to throw in that do you really want to take your bike from A to B or do you want to fly in somewhere and rent a bike or buy a bike locally and ride it around for a few months and and sell it? With the cost of shipping, often Mm. it's so much cheaper. I mean, I was just talking to somebody the other day about Vietnam. Um, He spends the winter there. You can rent a motorcycle, small one, you know, scooter, little bike, whatever, but it's perfect for six dollars a day or $100 yeah, that's, a month. That's yeah, what we did. That's right. And it was right. great. <clears throat> way yeah. you want to ship your bike there for a month or two. I mean, if you're going to go there for six months or a year, maybe, but at $136 a month? Kidding? Sorry, $100 yeah. a month. Um, but if you're going to come from Europe or Australia or something and you want to come to North America and ride, $90 a day for a scooter on a monthly rate. Or you can get Triumph Bonneville, it's $136 a day. Yeah. That's the kind of thing you're going to need. Um, and we won't even talk about what every European wants to do is ride Route 66 on a Harley. That's going to really cost you. So then it becomes worth shipping your own bike if you're going to go for a while. But if you're only going for a short trip, if I was going to go to Vietnam for, for a month or two months or something, tight rent there's no way i'd ship my bike and the other thing with with buying and selling grant some countries uh it will be easier to buy a bike and and sell it at the end of the trip but other countries you'll need a local address so you can actually register the bike um and some countries there are um, restrictions in you know selling and taking money out of the country i don't know that that those sort of logistic things you need to look at as well. Yeah, you need to look at it because it, it's very variable. I mean, a lot of people want to buy a bike in South America and ride around South America. Well, some countries you can, some countries you can't. Some countries you can buy in country and you can get a local paperwork sorted yeah. out. But you can't take it over the border or you can't go to that country. That's right. That's right. Yes. It's very complicated and you need to really research exactly what you're going to do. Basic rule of thumb is buy in country A, tour around, go back to country A and sell it there. Trying yeah. to sell in another country is a whole level of difficulty harder. On the other hand, right. if you bought something relatively cheap, I mean, you can, you can get, um, was it an NX150, I think it is, Honda, in South America for like 1500 bucks. I could argue that you could ride that around for three or four months and then throw it away. <laughs> Still, compared to Shipping your bike there and then shipping it home, it's cheap to throw it away. So it depends on what you want to do. And you can probably sell it for, even if you sell it for $1,000, okay, fine. It's cost you $500 for several months. Mm. It's cheap. It's ridiculous. The other thing, some some countries will query if you cross the border on an Australian passport, with a bike registered yeah. in another country. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, it's not insurmountable, but it can cause just that extra couple of hours of grief of trying to deal with things in a language that isn't your native tongue sometimes. Sure. And then you have to balance the, the probable aggravation at the border. Yeah. It's the amount of research required 
and again to what is it you're going to try and do and how long are you going for? Yeah. I stand by if you're going to go for less than three months, buy or rent locally. Yep. No choice yep. about it. Anything over that, okay, it starts to become a question. If you're going for a year trip, well, okay, take your own bike. That makes sense. For those short trips, um, you know, when you consider what it costs you to fly to Southeast Asia, you go to, go to Vietnam, or go to uh, Thailand, whatever, it's so cheap. Mm. We've hired bikes in Vietnam and India yeah. and had great trips. And it's not only the cost of shipping um, that, that comes into the equation. And, uh, but it's also things like, well, okay, so you have a breakdown and you're on a local bike. There are going to be places that are selling spare parts at local prices and you'll find local mechanic expertise and, you know, all of those sorts of things too. Yeah. And you'll, you'll have That's a bike that point. is suitable for the local environment. <clears throat> this guy I was talking to um, has been, he lives in Thailand or Vietnam every winter for years and runs a website and, He's got a 115cc Yamaha scooter, which is now 14 years old. He's ridden it for 200,000 kilometers in Vietnam, and he says it's the perfect bike for Vietnam. Yep. Now, having ridden in countries like that, I know that my 1200 GSA is the wrong bike for those countries. So why would I ship it in? It's just wrong. Here, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And just dealing with the weight of it and the traffic there. Cars expect that you will be nimble and jump out of the way because that's what the locals do on their scooters. But you're on a 1200 and with a passenger and a load of luggage, you're not that nimble. You can't get out of the way that easy. There is one counter argument to this. And I noticed this in, in India. Um, when you're on a bike that's completely different to what the locals are, are using, you stand out. And because you stand out, other traffic isn't taking you for granted. They're aware of you. Maybe, maybe. I will say maybe to that because they may not mm. even notice because we all know that motorcycles aren't really that noticed and noticeable. Do they see a big bike versus a small one? They just see an object, a motorcycle, and not even think about it. Going back to budget, are there, are there some hidden or, or often missed considerations for budgets that you guys can think of that might save someone some grief? That's a tough one. One of the ways that um, I've saved a little bit of money for accommodation, and sometimes there are opportunities to make a little bit of money, is if possible, finding work, and again, this is for long-term travel, but finding work overseas, or what I did was uh, work on uh, a program called Help Exchange. And so I worked for a few hours a day in exchange for room and board. So I got three meals a day and housing for a week and picked coffee uh, beans a few hours a day in Colombia. So that might be a way of, of kind of, you know, bridging the gap, so to speak, as far as accommodation and taking, you know, a week's worth of accommodation for me is, a, you know, kind of a chunk of change if I'm in an area where I'm going to need to pay for a room as opposed to wild camping. So there can be some different ways that you could take a look at that. And that's a lovely idea because it gets you underneath the skin of a country rather than doing what we all risk as overlanders, and that's float across the surface of a country. Yeah. That's right. Um, another little tidbit. Um, don't be afraid to bargain for the price of the hotel. Mm -hmm. they'll that's a great price, tip. And they'll look at you and you're a gringo or whatever. And yeah, they'll, so they'll charge you the high rate and you just 
well, that's pretty expensive. Maybe I'll go down the street and well, you know, maybe make them another offer. Yeah. Not 5% less, like 25% less. That can make a big difference. We've saved a lot of money that way very often, especially yep. if it's late in the day and the hotel is not full. I even bargain in the States when I'm traveling there. <laughs> Yeah, I've done that a couple of times, but not generally. How, how does that work for you, Sam? <laughs> um, do you know, thinking about it, roughly, I'm probably successful 60% of the time. Hmm. Well, that's 60% better than nothing. Yeah. Mm, sure. And, what do you bargain just, just accommodation? Yeah, just accommodation. And I just walk in and I just say to them, um, if I'd really like to stay here tonight. Um, looks like a lovely place. Um, how busy are you? Ah, uh, we're on a bit of a quiet night tonight. Oh, right, okay. So how much are you, your rooms? Oh, that's a bit steep. Have you got a room that's um, perhaps less popular, you know, something that's tucked out of the way that's a little bit cheaper? Oh, I see. So um, you want some money off the room price, do you? Well, yeah, actually, that would be fantastic because I'm traveling on a tight budget. Well, let's have a look and see what we've got. How old are you? Tell them my age. Well, I tell you what, we've actually got a discount, especially for people like you. And, you know, <laughs> it's quite often the receptionists, they'll help you. They'll find something that fits in where they can give you a discount just because you've asked. Say it out loud, Sam. Seniors hmm? discount. I know. Were, were you laughing, Brian, because <laughs> Sam avoided saying his age there and then he gave it away? Yeah, <laughs> listen, listen, I'm, I'm not embarrassed for being 75 years old. 75 is a very fine age. Yeah, Can really? I tell you a very quickly off the, off the um, topic, but embarrassing moment in Iceland where they do seniors discount uh, at all the museums. My traveling companion and I walked into a mu museum and the girl looked at Lee and went, yep, you'll be full price and your friend will be a senior's discount, I'm guessing. I thought, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, there's also um, automobile association discounts often. That's what I was mm -hmm. thinking that Sam was going to say is that, you know, often if you have a business or something, you know, they, they'll they look for any excuse to give you, what's the standard, Michelle, for, for hospitality like that? What's the standard discount if someone has a business or something? Uh, well, and business can even be a little bit steeper, actually, surprisingly. We, in, in 20 years of hotel experience, anybody that asks for anything, I give 10% off. So if it's a local chess club, if it's being on a budget, it's a Tuesday night, it's a slow night, anything we would automatically give 10% for almost anything. But business sometimes is 15%, oh. um, sometimes even better. And Sam is absolutely right. There's no harm in asking. The worst that they can say is no. And oftentimes it just sparks kind of a fun conversation. Hey, I'm traveling on a budget. Oh, where are you coming in from? And where are you headed? And and those kinds of uh, you know questions and icebreakers help give that front desk person a little more incentive to take care of you and, and give you either a nicer room or a better location or hopefully a better price. Well, it's easy for and Sam when he's traveling in the States because he barely speaks their language and it's obvious. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> Do you know, there are some countries and I can't think of which ones offhand now, but there are some countries where um, hotel rooms at the front on the street line are more uh, are cheaper than the ones in the back where it's quieter. And I actually want to stay in the hotel rooms on the street line because I can be hanging out of the windows, taking photographs of the street life and all of that sort of stuff. So it's double whammy, cheaper room, better photographic opportunities. But you just have to ask. I'm a big fan of the upgrade. Uh, you mean asking for it? 
oh yeah, is yeah. there a better room available? Why not? Yeah, no, we went good. to the Taj Mahal in um, in Mumbai, and prior to it being taken over by the terrorists and set on fire, um, and we went for the cheapest room because it was the most stupid, silly, expensive hotel, uh, crazy price. And when we came back in with our bags, she said, oh, we've upgraded you into this luxury part of the, the hotel and it was the most exquisite room ever. And when I said foolishly to my husband, can we stay two nights, I just, yeah, I should have known better. So we didn't stay two nights. But it was just for just that 12 hours to luxuriate, particularly after spending a couple of months riding around India, it was awesome to get the upgrade. Yeah, nice. Every now and then. Very nice. You need an yeah. 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 every once in a while for sure. We do that as an, as an automatic once a month. Use nice hotel quality or if you're nice, nice yep. hotel, yep, do it right. Take a break, take a rest, yep. vacation, whatever you want to call your trip. But then we yeah. had the, the $10 room on the beach, sure. That yeah. was a lot too. But we'd been there for two weeks <laughs> with no running, with no hot water. So clearly that was my bargaining chip. <laughs> to get to stay in the hotel in, in Mumbai. <laughs> Changing direction um, a little bit, going back to, you know, what sort of things would we um, always consider? Um, I would always be considering uh, maps in, in advance and getting hold of the best maps that I can, even if I'm posting them on for me to pick up along the way. But I love maps and they're not always necessarily easy to get along the way. Um I also like guidebooks. That is so true, Sam. That's I also, true. Yeah. It is very true. Box full of maps, haven't we? Yeah. And, and a bookshelf full of guidebooks. But we found, um, now I'm just trying to think what country it was, was it Iran that we were given a map in Turkey that when we got to Pakistan we had to post back because it was one travelling map and it, it was everything was in German, all the sort of street directions, et cetera, et cetera. But it was so hard to get a map a roadmap of Iran. Mm-hmm. And there's no GPS. And there was no yeah. GPS in those days, yeah. And that's another very good point. Some countries don't want you to use GPS. So don't arrive at the border with no maps and no idea and no opportunity to access um, directions. And some countries won't sell maps of the next country. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, don't want to go to that country yeah, very dodgy. True. When we were in Central America back in 87, of course, there was no GPS and there was no road signs in Nicaragua at all. Always, you know, there was the war and the Contra War and all the rest of it. Um, And there were no maps. It was, you know, which way to Managua? That way. Which way to Costa Rica? That way. And that was it. That's all you had. There was. Nothing. You literally had to ask at every corner, which way? Of course, that brings up the old, how many, how many, how do you ask what's the way to Managua? You don't say, is this the way to Managua? You say, which is the way to Managua? I wish it hadn't taken me. You certainly years never to learn ask that. a question. Yeah, That's... never ask a question that you can answer yes to. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Because it's all, <laughs> yes. they don't want yeah, to. Yeah, because they want to. Exactly. Yeah, and you have to ask a couple of people because some, the first person you ask, who is probably possibly um, a peasant, you ask them which is the way to wherever, and they will say that way. And you know darn well that's not the way because you just came from there, and that's not the way. 
But that's the way the bus goes to get to the capital city because the bus wanders its way around through the mountains and the back roads and eventually gets to the capital city. Mm-hmm. So Good point. Which way is, is the actual way for you to take is not necessarily the way they would take on the bus. Exactly who are you calling peasants anyway? <laughs> Never mind. Mm. Um, skip that one. They <laughs> guess <laughs> so, so, that hall being dug again. Yeah, yes, yep. absolutely. So, <laughs> so budget. Any other often missed considerations? Anyone have any? Yeah. Oh, oh, just as I said before, you know, you just got to um, think about. Well, we've all said it, where you want to go and um, what you want to do on your travels. You know, don't miss out. Don't miss out on things. Oh, I guess the, even you just saying that, that's it, that is one of them. And you guys have sort of talked about it already. Maybe plan some extra so that if something does come up, some of these wonderful opportunities like to swim with the penguins, um, that you can do that. Yeah, you've got to have some money set aside extra. Um, and I think it, it's really important to think about when you're planning your trip, plan a time. I've got this much time rather than necessarily a destination because maybe you'll get sidetracked so many times on the way that you don't get to your destination. But you need to be okay with that in advance and say, I've got six months. That's what I've got. And I will get as far as I get. And when I run out of time, time to go home, that's fine. But it's okay that I didn't get to Ushuaia or whatever. Um, I never want to be a traveler that has a list of destinations and all I do is tick them off. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. I've always found that, or we always found, that as soon as we had to be somewhere at a particular day to catch the boat, the ferry, whatever, the stress started. That was the hard part. As long as we didn't have to be anywhere at any particular time, no problem. We're enjoying ourselves. We do what we want. We go where we want, when we want, how we want. But give me a day that I have to be somewhere. I don't like that. So I think it's, it's, it's like when you get to the border grant and they ask you how long you want on your visa, and you think, oh, I'm only going to take a week to get through this country. No. no. Brian taught me that very early on. Always ask for more. No, you know, you ask, how long can I possibly stay in your wonderful country? I really want to spend some time here. Yeah, remember the adjectives. What about the question that people always ask, how much per day? Some people say that you can travel for $40 a day. Well, not anymore. I don't think you can, not easily. Um, I know one guy said that in Europe, they spent $110 a day. I know that 20 years ago, we spent that. So I'm Mm -hmm. sure it's more than that now. you can do it cheaper. You can save money for camping. The U.S. and Canada is cheaper than Europe. Um, medical insurance is be higher. Um, South America, Southeast Asia, Africa, all much cheaper. And it's going to depend a lot on what you're riding and how fast you're trying to travel. But you can think of Central and South America as being half of North American prices. So it's going to depend a lot. And like I said, right at the very beginning of this, one guy went around for 10,000 pounds. Another couple went around for 250,000 pounds. How fast? How quickly? Where do you want to stay? You need to decide how much you want to spend. For a round-the-world trip today, I think you could do it on 30,000 U.S. if you wanted to. It'd be too hard to do that. One of the things that I, I notice quite regularly is that when people set off, 
um, they tend to spend a fair chunk more money than they do once they're into the swing of things and they're beginning to get the the, the taste of, of and and the lay of the land. Um, people's budgets, um, when they start slowing down and they're more aware, then their budgets decrease or their actual spendings decrease quite dramatically. Yeah. If you have a rough plan or a budget in mind, be prepared to a month down the road, sit back and say, well, okay, I actually spent and I discovered that I really need a better hotel than the cheapy ones that I thought I could stay in and I need to readjust my budget and be prepared to do that. And it's okay. And you, there's no excuse for being surprised with how much things cost in this day and age Mm-mm. when you can look anything up on the internet. You know, you put in Sainsbury's Bristol and you'll work out what supermarkets costs are in the UK for, you know, meat and vegetables and, you know, the sort of provisions you're going to need if you're camping. You can look at any number of websites that will tell you how much hotel rooms are there's bound to be petrol spy type websites around the world that you can work out how much a litre of fuel is going to cost you in different countries. If you want to, you can even do that from one town to the next. Oh, look, this county, the petrol's cheap in the next one. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and there's all sorts of online forums and resources for asking any of those questions too. Now, there's an yeah. app called Gas Buddy that works here in Canada. I don't know about anywhere else. And, and here yeah, we have petrol true. spy. Yeah, with all the gas Lots of ways of working it out, but I think be prepared to readjust and maybe adjust everything because you were way off on your planning and your budgeting in the first place. But that's part of the game. Well, of course, you know, the other thing, Grant, is that in some countries, beers are very expensive. And of course, you know, I'm a great advocate of when you're traveling, don't drink beer. Yes, I remember a guy who told me what he spent on booze and cigarettes in a day. We were talking about how much is it going to cost him to do a trip. And my answer to him was, we spend slightly more than that a day for everything. Mm-hmm. Oh. Hmm. And somebody else said, you know, how do you afford to travel? Well, I don't drink and I don't smoke. Hmm. A lot of money every day for a lot of people. We enjoy a drink and we've managed to survive travelling, so I don't think you need to turn into a racket and a member of the Temperance Union to enjoy a trip overseas. Shirley, I'm so happy that you responded there because here's me sticking the, the snake the stick in the snake pit and what am I getting silence and Grant saying yes, what a good idea. And I'm listening I'm listening out really hard for you guys to go outrage, no drink beer. Got to. I'm I'm thinking of all the beers I've had in different countries and enjoyed. I'd hate to miss that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I started taking photographs of the beer labels and then it was just getting too big a Me file, too. so I had to stop doing that. <laughs> I thought it would make a nice top for a coffee table, Michelle, all the different photo- prints of I beer labels under us. Ah, oh, that's a great idea. I brought home beer caps because I had seen someone make a ah. tabletop out of beer nice. caps from all over the world. So I have a, a gallon bag full of them waiting for that project. <laughs> Oh, you need another lockdown. <laughs> I do. <laughs> oh, no, don't say that. <laughs> no, also, the, the, the decor in our kitchen is um, picture frames with uh, beer labels um, oh, in wow. behind them. Brilliant. I yeah. That with Coke bottles. <laughs> I've had a Coke, Coke bottle in the world. How's that? Yeah. You've got to have a Coke. Yeah. Okay. So. so before we go, before we do our plugs, 
I just remembered I had this this uh, message from um, this is from a while ago from Stephen Zare, and he his his subject is dog trick. Because remember we were talking about dogs and we were talking about dealing with dogs and and the, and all the different problems and, and ways to deal with the dogs. Well, let me just read this to you. He says, just listening to your discussion about dogs, I'm relatively new to ADV, but have been a bicyclist for over forty years and have ridden many miles in rural areas with chasing dogs. My go-to, which has been 100% effective every time, is to reach for my water bottle and give a strong squirt toward the dog. The dog will always, and he has that in caps, stop in its tracks. The trick uh, may not work as well on a motorcycle, as most of us don't have a water bottle with an easy reach. That was Stephen Zare. Thank you, Stephen, for for the tip. But um, hey, that makes sense, doesn't it? A good idea. Yeah, it's a great idea. I know it's totally off topic, but I, but I had this here and I wanted to tell you about it. Yeah, thank you. Okay, well, let's uh, get into plugs then. Michelle, I'll start with you sitting in the airport all by yourself in some lonely, dark, abandoned <laughs> gate. <laughs> what do you have for right. plugs? <laughs> well, I wanted to give a shout out to um, one of the places that I visited on my trip to Borneo. In Sarawak, in the town of Kuching, in the city of Kuching, there is a restaurant, a cafe owned by a fellow round-the-world motorcyclist um, that some of you may know. His name is Alex Wong, and his cafe is called Feast and Furious Cafe. And he has uh, filled the place with memorabilia from his travels around the world. He does track riding, he races cars, all sorts of things. Just a really, really cool guy. Interesting uh, person, well-traveled, and it is a really fun cafe. So I went to to have lunch there and hopefully get to say hello. He wasn't there. I know him through friends of friends, and that's kind of a long story. Uh, I will save for maybe another time. I posted about it on my Facebook page, but um, I went to meet him. Didn't get to the day that I was there for lunch, but got a message from him later after I posted that I had visited the cafe, and he took uh, myself and my friend out for dinner in a fishing fishing village on Borneo. Oh, nice. Anyway, the the nicest guy. Um, he did a, a trip on motorcycle through North and South America and wrote a book about it. I think called Till the Road Ends. And Simon Thomas actually, um, I think, did created the book for him. Um, so just just some another one of those global connections that's part of the motorcycle community which i think is so fantastic and super nice guy so if anybody happens across or happens to uh, be in Kuching on Borneo stop in and see the Feast and Furious Cafe it's fantastic and the food was amazing what was the guy's name again Alex Wong W O N G yeah super nice guy and he also i should mention long story, but not really. Um, when Heather and I were there, my friend and I were there, we stayed in Kuching for a few nights and then went out to the coast um, to Demai Beach. And he has a cafe and bar out at Demai Beach, um, the Sunset Club. So he invited us out for drinks to watch the sunset on the coast. And so he's got a couple of places, but the Feast and Furious Cafe is filled with motorcycle memorabilia. It was super cool. Okay. Well, nice. All right, Shirley, what do you have? Oh, sorry, I'll pass to Brian. <laughs> <laughs> Go on, Cheryl. Um, I've got a, I've got a couple of things. Um, right now is the um, greatest show on earth happening. You know, I don't know if any of you have picked up on it yet. To do with motorcycling, do you know what I'm talking about? No. 
no. The ICMA um, uh, motorcycle exhibition is on. It's where all the, the brands release their new models. And if you jump on um, InfoMoto, uh, which is made of our site, or a couple of other sites, you'll see the new um, uh, new looking, old looking um, Honda Africa Twin, which would be a great travel bike. Always like them. It looks exactly like the old 750 Honda Africa Twin, um, and uh, but obviously a modern design with the twin cylinder 755cc engine in it. Looks like a good thing, but there's all other bits and pieces there too. Royal Enfield have got out a, um, a 650 thing. It looks like a Himalayan. So, yeah, very interesting. Um, the um, I don't know if anyone's told you, but uh, where I watched the MotoGP form was fantastic. I didn't want to. Didn't want to. <laughs> I did a bit of work down at the MotoGP and a, and a mate said, oh, um, you've been so good. Um, here's 10 free complimentary tickets to the corporate area of the MotoGP sitting on top of the pits for you and 10 of your mates. So I got Shirley in there and a couple of others. And I thought this is pretty damn good. Eat and drink as much as you like all day. Fantastic. So what you're what you're doing right now, Brian, is you're offering it up to the to the first eight people that come, and they can go with you. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 it got better. He, he, he contacted me on the phone. Said, "Meet me at the bottom of the stairs." So I did that, and uh, bring three of your mates. So we came down, and he had passes that took us into the pit area, and I was watching the MotoGP from one of those stands on the pit right next door to Alex, um, Mark Marquez's pit. So um, that was a pretty good experience, something you'll never do in your life, but that's a bit of a brag. Yeah, that was – I loved it. Yeah, brag brag. of the month rather than plug. Yeah, 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 it's a brag. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got that. Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fantastic. Um, And products (laughs) – I, I, some of you know I've been using a Shark Evo helmet for a long time. I reckon they're, they're fantastic. I've had four now. I'm about to go and buy another one, but I've been recommending it to people on um, the Seniors Motorcycle site at the moment, and a couple of guys over in the States have picked up on that, and they're using them too. And I reckon they're a great helmet for, for travel because um, they're flip-top, um, the chin bar goes right over the back, you can have a three-quarter helmet. Or as a full face helmet. Um, so, yeah, just a little plug for Evo helmets. And he does actually pay for his helmets. Just saying. Yeah, I do. I, I just to say, so so Evo gets a free plug, and you're no, buying the helmet. No, no, no. no, no. Yeah, no, I buy the helmet. helmet. <laughs> no, I just like a good helmet. Sam, what have you got? Well. Actually, if, if I can do two as well, please, if that's all right. Um, the first one I want to do is a tip of the helmet to all listeners who use their skills to help their friends with their motorcycles and trip planning and all of the rest of it. I have been hearing and coming across so many stories uh, during the last couple of months in the States of um, friends helping friends. And it's just such a wonderful thing to be around. And I think, yeah, the more we do it, the better. So, yeah, tip of the helmet to everybody who shares and helps each other. Um, absolutely fantastic. 
Um, and of course, well, for me, it's that time of year, isn't it? And this show is going to be coming out right at the um, the Christmas book buying stage, well, hopefully. Oh, yeah. And um, I'm really hoping that uh, listeners who haven't got my books yet um, or will be encouraging friends or um, are thinking, oh, what can I get for my mate for this Christmas? We'll consider getting one of my books. Um, so there are the four books out from uh, The Big Trip into Africa, which is a year the length of um, Africa, Under Asian Skies, which is three years from Australia, across Asia and the Middle East, Distant Suns, which is a year, first of all, going through Southern Africa and then two years up through South America, and Torti is the Totems, which is a year and a half through Mexico, USA and Canada. And of course, there is the new book out, which is um, 20 chapters, different authors, all um, focusing on telling a story, which is about a moment on one of their trips, which gave them the, the sensation, yeah, this is what it's all about. So I hope people will um, think about getting one of those and they can either get them from the book depository um, from us direct at sam-manicum.com or of course from Amazon um, thank you and I'm so sorry can I piggyback in there and say quickly to Sam I'm super excited to get your new shirt design it's so cool looking so don't forget to mention your shirts or I guess I just have never mind <laughs> no thank you very much <laughs> I thought if I mentioned those as well, then I would be taking the mickey. We have got some new, the long sleeve um, t-shirts, that wonderful fabric. And um, the caption on the front is, uh, uh, well, there are two. Um, Never really lost on my motorcycle. And the other caption is, um, no bad days, because that's us on bikes. Even when things are going wrong, there really is never a bad day. Ever the wordsmith. That's Sam. (laughs) Uh, I, I forgot uh, Christmas was coming up or that, that time of year was coming up. So thank you for the reminder, Sam. And I was going to say that if um, if you already have Sam's books, because you're Sam, you're plugging your books. I was going to say, if you want to do something, buy Sam's books, like another set, and then donate them to a library or something. And don't forget Michelle's book. And, Absolutely. And, and yours. <laughs> <laughs> just, yeah, just any motorcycling books. They're amazing. That's true. And, and be, because it's that time of year. Yeah. I mean, we have books here. So Shirley and Brian, what do you have for books? Just quickly. Um, we have two for the road about our first trip from England, Circle to Circle, which is the Americas and Africa and Western Europe. And the long way to, long road to, long way to Vladivostok, which is, of course, going across the stands and Siberia, et cetera, et cetera. And you can get our books through um through Amazon and places like that as well. And in Australia, please feel free to go and get our books from your public library because we get a public lending right thanks to one of our previous governments. So for every time you borrow a book, we get a couple of shekels. I love that. That's That's great. That's fantastic. Okay, Michelle, and what do you have for books? I have The Butterfly Route, um, which is about my two-year trip through the Americas. Um, and I have a chapter, I'm very proud to say, in Sam Manicum's book, The Moment Collectors. So, yeah. Yeah. Very nice. Okay. Well, we have one of those, too. Yes. It is. It's, yep. <laughs> it's family. I was just going to mention that, uh, Grant, I know you haven't done your plug yet, but I was just going to say you also have the video series. Do you want to just plug that now? Yeah, absolutely. For those who are thinking about all of this and wondering, can I do this? What's involved? And want some more information on budgeting, for instance. 
our video series is 18 hours. Sounds like a lot, but it's packed full of information on everything you could want to know about how to plan a trip, go on a trip, what it's like. 250 people we interviewed for that. Took us almost two years to edit it. It's just a staggering amount of work, but the results are, we think, fantastic. And we've had so many rave reviews about it. Lots of information, budgeting, bike, what, what's the right bike, where to go, how to deal with problems along the way. Uh, there's just a ton of information in there. So that's available at vimeo.com slash horizons unlimited. That'll get you going. And once you've figured that out and say, okay, now I would like a little bit more information, check out horizonsunlimited.com slash events and see what event is happening. You can meet travelers who've done it, thinking about it, planning on it, just like yourself. Lots more information, lots more sharing, lots of people to talk to. I'm reminded one guy once said, you know, the best part about your events, presentations are great, but Sitting down and talking to somebody in the evening around the fire, somebody who's actually done it is amazing. So get yourself to one of our. Here, here. Okay. Well, I guess that wraps things up. Thank you very much, everyone. Thank you, Michelle, in particular, for going through all the hassle of sitting in an airport and moving around from gate to gate. That was that was great to have you here, and I'm, I'm really glad you took it. It was the best way to kill time. Thank you, all of you, for making my afternoon so fun. Well, that's great. Thank you very much, everyone. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks, thanks, thanks everybody. Cheers, everyone. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, that wraps things up for this month's ARR Raw. And thank you to my co-host, Sam Manicom, starting with Sam Manicom. He lives in the UK. He's got four books and audiobooks that follow his eight-year motorcycle journey around the world. His website, sam-manicom.com. Shirley Hardy Ricks and Brian Ricks are from Australia. They also have published their own books on motorcycle travel. You can buy them wherever you get ebooks at their website, aussiesoverland.com.au. Michelle Lampfair is a moto traveler that also has a couple of great moto travel books, The Butterfly Route and Tips for Traveling Overland in Latin America. Both of those titles available on Amazon. As well, she has a motel for us motorcyclists and anyone else called the Chalet Motel. You can find out more about that at chaletmotelcuster.com. And of course, Grant Johnson is from Horizons Unlimited, which is the hub, literally, for our adventure motorcycling community. Horizons Unlimited has tons of up-to-date travel information, as well as a huge forum of dedicated travelers that connect you with other travelers. They also put on the hub meets around the world. You can see a worldwide list of hub meets at their website, horizonsunlimited.com. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin. My name is Jim Martin. Thank you for listening. Join us again next time. Oh, and don't forget, if you want to get uh, your question or a topic suggestion in here, drop by our website. You can also look at the show notes. I have some more information in here. You can make comments on the show notes. AdventureRiderRadio.com. 